Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into this week's message. But before we do, I want to encourage you to connect with us online. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, and you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and this very podcast. We want to stay connected. So another great way to do that is be our guest on a Sunday. I'd love to invite you to be here. If you're local, come out. We want to meet you, get to know you, worship with you. We'd really, really enjoy your company. And without further ado, let's jump into this week's message. This is what's going on. She's, she's saying, have you seen the one that I'm with? She's got an internal fear. Has anybody ever experienced that? That fear of, if I give my heart to someone, will they squish it? It says in the next verse, Then scarcely had I left them when I found my love, and I caught him and held him tightly. So when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, she's just like, oh, she's so happy to see him. My wife's like, that's not quite what's going on. She's like, this is a woman. She's saying, you're not going, (laughs) don't you dare make me feel like that in my dream again. (laughs) You ever do that, like wake up, like, I can't believe what you said to me in my dreams. She, she's, she's responding to this insecurity that we're seeing in her. She's, she's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold him. Why? Because women have this, this instinctive desire, this unique desire that men get to, but they don't start with it as much. And it's this desire for oneness. Women have a, a deep desire and need for unity, for oneness. Like it, when I first got married, my, my, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I jump in the bed. I'm ready to go to sleep. Like, we're, we're, be, actually, before that, we're gonna watch a movie. Turn on a movie, and my wife's like, "Oh, okay." Flipping off the lights, like jumping in the bed. I'm like, "What are you? What are you doing?" She's like, "We're going to sleep now." I'm like, what do you mean we're going to sleep? Like, my movie's not done. <laughs> or, or, or you, you're gonna go meet at a restaurant or meet somewhere, and you're like, "Well, why don't we just both drive there, and I'll meet you there?" She's like, "No. How about you drive home, pick me up, and then we'll go together." That doesn't even make sense. Doesn't make sense. But, but what's going on is she's got this desire for, for oneness to be together. In fact, I would say the greatest critique that I see of women towards their husband is that, that they recognize that their husband wants them to be the mother of their children. He wants them to be a willing sexual partner. He wants them to be like a second economic contributor. But what she is really looking for is a oneness that is not met by any of those individual things. I'm saying, men in the room, your wife wants more from you than just what you bring financially to the table. She, she definitely wants more than what you bring sexually to the room. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like I don't care if you're a rock star sexually. There are still 23 hours and 58 minutes of the day. You know what I'm saying? If you're good. And so I'm just saying like, she wants oneness that goes beyond that. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Then she says this. She says, so she's holding him tightly. 
She says, I, I, <laughs> brought him into my, I brought him into my mother's house, into my mother's bed where I had conceived. Now her dream is turning a little weird. When, when I read this, I'm thinking, oh, initially I'm thinking, oh, she's having like this, maybe this dream is turning sexual. It's not. That's not what's going on. Because what she's talking about is conception. She's got, like her dream is transitioning from a fear of him leaving her to I know how I will keep him conception. Her, her dream is essentially fantasizing about manipulating him through a child. Single women, if you're worried about him leaving you, there's a much worse nightmare than him leaving you. And it is having a child and him also leaving you. Locking it down with somebody in an attempt to somehow keep them with you is, is not healthy. It's not good. It's a form of manipulation. This is where she's going in her mind. That I'm going to keep you with me because I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that there's a child in the picture. It's going to, because children fix everything. <laughs> Marriage problems, have another kid. <laughs> what she's saying is, I, I'm going to be able to, I'm going to be able to control him the way I know how to control. Like, like, this is unhealthy. Her, her fears and her ability to manip manipulate are both being seen in this dream. You know what I'm talking about, manipulation in a relationship. Like, you always, you never. Like, in 1997, you looked at her. Like, <clears throat> my, my, my emotions are going to control the way you behave. When you use your emotions to control someone else, that is manipulation. Young dating girls, using your tears to get a desired outcome from a man is unhealthy manipulation. And we learn it when we are babies, and we bring it with us into our marriages. Having an emotional response towards somebody and then holding them accountable for their emotional response to your emotional response is manipulation. So my wife's over here amening me because she's like, you, this whole time you've been letting the women get off. It's like you're just coming at the men. <clears throat> right here we see that she's, she's experiencing this insecurity and this subconscious desire for control. The next verse, verse 5 says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and the wild deer. Okay, we saw this before. This essentially means the bucks and the does, the birds and the bees, everything male and female. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by everything male and female, not to awaken love until the time is right. What she's saying is, she's ending her dream. As she wakes up from her dream, she's saying like, like these insecurities and these desires for control, all of this stuff is, is erupting in me because I'm, I'm on the edge of awakening love. And, and if I can do anything to prevent all of the drama that's going on inside of me, I would do it. I'm just telling somebody today, three times in this book it says it, don't awaken love until the time is right. 
Don't awaken love until the time is right. So I would say this. If you are a Christian couple in the room, Christian couples should date as long as possible and should be engaged as short as possible. Because we don't want to awaken certain parts of love until the time is right. I would say it like this. like If you are dating somebody, and throughout the course of this series, you're like, I don't, I don't know if I could really envision a life with them long term. Then, then your next step is to break up with them. Don't awaken love until the time is right. And certainly don't awaken love with the wrong person. Your next step might be to disappoint someone else. Because it's a lot easier to break up a dating relationship. And it's a lot easier to break up a wedding engagement than to get married to the wrong person. If you're in a rocky dating relationship and it's just rough, the whole time it's just rough, what in the world makes you think a marriage will make, will make it better? If it's rough now, it's going to... I say this to young couples when I counsel with them. I say, imagine like the worst thing about him. Imagine the most annoying thing about her. Think about it. Multiply it by 10. Now you're scratching the surface. Okay? Can you live with that? Because it's a lot easier to run now than it is to deal with it later. So it goes from her having this nightmare, now it's going to talk about the wedding ceremony itself. And this is pretty cool. Now it's the, the young women of Jerusalem singing this part of the song. Um, this is what they say. They say, who is this sweeping in from the wilderness like a cloud of smoke? What is that? That's a direct allusion. The wilderness and a cloud of smoke is a direct allusion to the tabernacle of God in the wilderness. The smoke that God led them by. What they're saying is, whatever's coming now, whatever's about to happen, the presence of God is on it. Like, the hand of God is on this thing walking in the room now. Let me tell somebody today that the marriage is not just some unique human thing that we invented to somehow, you know, make it through life. Marriage is an institute from God, and God anoints it, and God is in it. In fact, theologians would call it that it would call it a creation ordinance. It's it's the very first institute that God ever creates. It's the institution of marriage. They're recognizing that this is not just two lovers who have been flirting. This is not just a boy meets girl meets sparks and fireworks. This is divine God's blessing on a relationship. They 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 see that. And so Marriage is a pre-political order. What I mean by that is it, it happened before there was ever a government on the planet. God instituted a thing called marriage. The very first institution is marriage. God demands it. God expects it. God ordains it. And because it is pre-government, God blesses it. I would say it like this. The government has no in my opinion, the government has no business, honestly, dealing in marriage. The reason the government does deal in marriage is because marriage is what produces children, and children is what produces nations. 
But ultimately, church, government is pre-political. So then the question now you're all waiting for me to talk about is same-sex marriage. I would say this. If, if you have same-sex attraction or you're in a same-sex relationship or you're married, same-sex in the room, we love you and we're glad you're here. Glad you're here. Welcome. I would say this, though. For me, all of this stuff doesn't come from my own opinions. It, it, my, I've chosen, the way I've chosen to live my life is to align my life by what the Word of God says. And so the Word of God dictates my direction in life. This is like when we say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, what we're saying is, Jesus, be the boss in charge of my life. You, you, you have the final say now. So marriage, biblically, is a man and a woman, one man and one woman, and God. This is why they're seeing smoke in the wilderness. God meets a man and a woman in marriage. It's a union, it's a covenant between, a God, between God and a man and a woman. <clears throat> now, you, you, you can have whatever opinions you want to have about same-sex marriage. It, it, is, it is not a Christian recognized marriage it may be government recognized it's not a christian recognized marriage the reason is it a true marriage is man and woman before god so this is this is why it makes it confusing if we were to endorse that what would happen is say a same-sex couple came to the lord in in a christian church then for them to follow Jesus fully, they would then need to be divorced. So they made a covenant before God, but in order to fulfill their walk with God, they would need to break covenant with God. Does this make sense? It, it, it isn't a Christian marriage. I know that's harsh, and I know that's not politically great, but I think the church and Christians in America are so intimidated by the news media and what is politically correct that we have just completely lost our bearings on some things. Okay. I'm going to preach whether you like it or not. The, the, second, the second thing is this. <clears throat> And also, thank you for not, not, nobody being like, yeah, get him, get him, because that's not what the heart of that was at all. Um, the second thing about marriage, then, it becomes, well, if it's just a covenant between me and God, then it's just this piece of paper. I don't need a piece of paper to have this covenant between me and God. I'm telling you, if that's your mentality, you're missing the essence of all of it. You're, you're missing the whole point. Christian marriage is a long-term commitment between a man and a woman that's god's fire the smoke of heaven coming in the wilderness on this couple that's what they're seeing it's it's more than just a legal contract it's a covenant now, now we all understand the idea of a contract maybe you got a job somewhere and your job on a contract you you contracted with an employer to provide certain services in exchange for certain payment and benefits. And if either of you break that contract, the relationship is severed. And there are ways to revisit consequences on each other for breaking the contract. We do contracts when we 
when we buy a house. We do contracts when we go into business together. It's, it's to protect our rights. That's the purpose of it. The reason you did a contract when you signed for that loan is so the loan company can revisit payment or, or revisit demands on you if you don't make payment. It's protecting them. Marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant. The, the only example I can think of in the modern world where we have covenants is in when we buy a house and the neighborhood has a covenant. Anybody buy a house and your neighborhood had covenants? Okay, some of you are homeowners and you have this. So, so you buy a house, you get a covenant, and you're super excited because you just bought a brand new house and you're, you're like right there in that, that section out by Lake Lowell, Nampa. It's amazing. And you are so pumped to get you a dairy cow for your new house. He just hyped about it. And, and you go and you get a dairy cow, and then your neighbor comes along and says, hey, um, the covenant doesn't allow dairies in our neighborhood. Sorry, I just wish I could fix it, but <laughs> somebody said boo. No, yay God for not allowing dairies in our neighborhoods, right? <clears throat> right, so, so the covenant, like you just can't have dairy cows. So what that means is everybody in your neighborhood, no one's saying like you can never own a cow. What they're saying is we all agree to release our right to own a cow so that nobody's nose burns off the front of their face <laughs> while they're laying in their bedroom. Now, we've got dairymen in the church, and I'm sure they're like, no, that smells like money. Like, <laughs> good for you, but for me, I don't want that in my neighborhood. Like, like, like a covenant that says you can't have roosters in your house, right? It, it, like, you can't have roosters in the backyard. That's a covenant. It's not saying roosters are bad, that like we're, we're going to come against you. You are willingly signing a, a, a covenant saying, I release my right to own a rooster because I don't want everybody else's roosters waking me up at 3 in the morning. Okay, that's what marriage is. It's a release of rights. It's a voluntary release of rights, not a protection of rights. <clears throat> This is, this is why I love the, the original, like the, the traditional wedding vows. Traditional wedding vows, and, and I've married lots of couples that have custom, we call them custom wedding vows, and they're great. Sometimes they're really good. Sometimes they're a little cheesy for me, like, I will bake you fresh chocolate chip cookies every Friday night because you're amazing, and I promise to always make you laugh then you need to spend some more time with him because there's going to be times you want to strangle him. <laughs> chocolate, bake your own chocolate chip cookies. Well, you, <laughs> you just broke your covenant vow. That's why I like the traditional ones because I can do those. The bar is actually really high and really low at the same time. Here's, here's, listen, it says, I, girl, take you, boy, to be my wedded husband to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse. It doesn't mean for better or, or, or worse, maybe. No, it means there's going to be times when you're better and there's going to be times when you drive me nuts. Better and worse. It's both. For richer and for poorer. We always hear the richer part. They're like, we're going to make so much money together. No, you're going to be broke together. And you're vowing that, like, even when you spend too much money on Roblox or whatever it is, like, we're still, don't do that. You're, you're an adult. 
for sickness and in health. Like we only imagine the health part because we're young and spry and perky. But guess what? There's coming a season of your life where you're going to visit the hospital a whole lot. And you still need to have that ride or die mentality when you're making hospital visits. To love and to cherish until death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. That's a vow. She says, I do. Again, locked it down. Okay, if you're uh, somebody in the room today and you're like, we have made a, an internal covenant b- between the two of us, or, or maybe you say this, he's loyal to me, like he's with me, he's committed to me, he just doesn't want to get married. My response to you is he's so committed to you, but he's unwilling to lose his independence to you. He's so committed to you, but he's not willing to bind himself to you. Like Ulysses that binds himself on a mast so the sirens can't get him from the sea. Like saying, I'm not going to be distracted by any other voices. I'm going to be tied to, a, to, the, to the mast of a ship. He, he's, he's so committed he won't do that. So committed that he won't surrender his rights to you. So committed, but he's not willing to marry you like before God, his family, your children, the the people that are in your life, bringing them together. So committed to you, but not willing to actually step up. My, My encouragement to the men in the room is man up. We have a generation of boys, man up. Be committed. Here we go. All right. Be happy. Okay. Here we go. Look, it's Solomon's carriage. This is the the wedding group coming now. It's Solomon's carriage surrounded by 60 heroic men, the best of Israel's soldiers. They are all skilled swordsmen, expert warriors or experienced warriors. Each wears a sword on his thigh, ready to defend the king against an attack in the night. This, my friends, is an Idaho wedding. This is an open carry wedding. This is all the dudes coming in. They didn't tell the bride. They all come in like packing. Like, I've been in a few of those. I'm always like, what are we doing? Like, okay. What's going on is he's bringing the very best of himself. He's bringing the best of his world, the best of his people, all together. That's what a marriage is. It's when one world collides with another world. It's not when one world sneaks and hides and like pretends like, like there's been no change, there's been no change. No, it's I'm bringing the very best of me. You're bringing the very best of you. My family, your family. My friends, your friend. Our worlds intermingling. In our culture, we have lost the value of ceremony. This is a ceremony, and it is important, and it needs to happen. It means something. Next verse, verse 9. King Solomon's carriage, so he's coming in a carriage. It's built of wood imported from Lebanon. Its posts are silver. Its canopy is gold. Its cushions are purple. He's a Lakers fan. <laughs> and, and he took his liberty in decorating his own room. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's, like, he's like, yeah, let's go. <clears throat> it, it was decorated with love by the young women of Jerusalem. This guy is excited to marry her. Classy, not so much, but he's excited to marry her. 
why is it then that we have a generation of young men that are just not excited about marriage? Why is it that we have a generation of young men that would maybe believe the, the great theologian Chris Rock when, when, <laughs> when he says something like this, like, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? Can I, can I just say I'm sorry for Chris Rock if that's his experience? Because I've been married for 20 years and I ain't bored. We have, we're not bored at all. She keeps me on my toes. <laughs> I'm just saying that's such a false belief of marriage. And I think it stems from the same problems we're seeing in the young men in our generation. Guys, like I just kind of picked on the women a little bit, but I'm picking on you again. We have a generation of passive men. Passive men. Manliness, masculinity, like there's this thing, oh, toxic masculinity. We're not bordering on the edge of toxic masculinity. We're bordering on the edge of passive masculinity. That's our problem in this generation. It's not toxic part. It's the passive part. People ask me all the time, they're like, what is this tattoo? What does this mean on your armor here? And I usually tell them, it means joy or it means peace. Like It means man up. It means man up because we've got a generation of boys, men that are so passive that they just sit back and, and they don't do anything. They don't, they don't move forward in any way. And in this area of life, we see men just, they want all the, the benefits of a married relationship, but none of the responsibility of a married relationship. And I'm just saying, men, stand up. Grow up. You know, men, you want to know why we're passive when it comes to wanting to get married? Let's just be honest. We're passive when it comes to wanting to be married because we can see more naked women in one night than a previous generation could have seen in an entire lifetime. And we don't just get it one night. We get it every night we want. And I'm just saying, like, that is a problem, and it is ruining our culture. It is ruining our, our, our society, and it's ruining our marriages. Men, let, let's get rid of that, and let's man up. Okay. But because, why are you so angry? <laughs> Have you ever had a cop pull you over when you're going way too fast on the highway and he's a little aggressive? And then they share with you that they scraped somebody off that same highway two weeks ago? I've had that experience. He said, I know I'm mad, but the reason I'm mad is two weeks ago, I pulled a family out of a car just a mile down the road. The reason I'm mad is because I pastor a church, and I see this every day. We need a, we need a generation that rises up and says, no, we're, we're going to lean into God's best for our lives. No more seeking the pleasures of a married man while accepting the responsibilities of a boy. Let's be men. <clears throat> so Solomon's bringing the very best of himself to her. This is not him making, like, him making her a possession. That's not what's going on. He's bringing the very best of him to her. This is what marriage is. So now the young woman, or the young woman herself, she, she is singing now that the wedding is going on. She's singing. She says this. 
Come out to see King Solomon, young women of Jerusalem. He wears the crown his mother gave him on his wedding day, his most joyous day. Even on her wedding day, her mother-in-law chose to give him a crown. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> no, what's going on is this. So this is not, a, this is not a, a kingly crown, okay? This is not a king crown. This is a cultural thing where, where they would have a, a crown for the man and the woman to symbolize that as they enter into marriage, they're creating their own kingdom. They're, they're creating a space that they then rule. What she's saying is, all of you that may experience the same fears that I experienced in my nightmare, fear that he would leave me, thoughts that I would have to manipulate to be able to control him, look at that crown. That is us unifying as king and queen over our home. Because ultimately, that is God's purpose for marriage. That there would be a unity in your life. That there would be a bonding together in your life. She's saying we can make a real difference in this world. We can, we can make a difference in the world around us. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Words mean something. Words are important. In our English dictionary, we have about 100 to 200,000 words. The Hebrew dictionary has about 7,000 words. And so the, the difference in language is pretty significant. The English language is always trying to get at a very specific meaning for something. The Hebrew language always has more depth to any individual word. It has, there's more richness to the word because more meaning is packed into that one word. And where it says right here that the two are united into one, the word is ichad. Ichad means Oneness. It says the two are united into one. One could have, could have multiple components, but one. Not, di not divided, just one. So is there an apple? Do we have an apple? Uh, there we go. I just got an apple. Come on, give it, a, give it a hand for Elijah. Well done. So what we hear when we think of marriage is this. We think I've got to find my, my other half. I didn't put lemon juice on it. If you put lemon juice on it, it doesn't brown. That's what I was told uh, by my wife. She's fancy like that. <laughs> but we often think of marriage of, I'm, I'm looking for my other half. And once I find my other half, oh, we become one. What you don't want is someone else's half to meet your half. A half of you and a half of them does not make a whole relationship. That makes a struggling relationship. When it says the two become ichad, what it means is this. The two, it's not two halves coming together to make a whole. It's that the two, be, two come together, ichad, one, single. It's one. Two individuals separately before, now one. This is the longing of her dream, is that she wouldn't be left alone. This is the, the fear that she might have to 
conceived to keep him with her in her dream. It's all being realized in the truth that there's, there's a moment available called ichad. It's, it's a oneness with another person. And, and here's the beauty of it is that it doesn't just refer to humans. It's also one of the ways that God reveals himself to us. It says this in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4, or chapter, chapter 6, verse 4. It says, hear, O Israel, listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is Ichad. He's, he's one. So when we're talking about the Trinity, what we're not, we're not saying like three separate complete parts that come together to make this, this that we've got to like hold it together. To keep, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about one God that, that he, is, he is three, but he is Ichad. Just like you can be married to someone and become Ichad. He's Ichad. He's one. And what's so beautiful about this is it begins to show us the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is to show us that there's, there's something about the nature and the character of God that we can get at when we join with somebody else and become one with that other per person. It's central to the idea of the Bible that God is unified and that we become unified. And so sex between a man and a woman, it has more to do with becoming one than it has to do with pleasure. Adam and Eve became one. Man and woman become one. God reveals himself as unified, as aligned, as inseparable. So when we consummate a marriage between a man and a woman, it's not just a physical interaction between a man and a woman, but there's something so much more about a relationship with God that is being revealed this is, this is why we become one in mission, one in vision with our spouse, one in bank account with our spouse. Why? Because we're becoming one. Because family, listen, we, we live in a world that is anything but ihad. We live in a world that is fractured and broken. We live in a world with homes that are broken. We live in a world with marriages that are just split apart. We live in a world where spouses are still in a marriage but shattered internally. We live in a world where marriages fall apart and we're picking up the pieces, wondering if there's a better option and giving up on the old options. And I'm just saying trust is lost in all the shattered dreams around us. And God is trying to say marriage is intended not to bring more brokenness into the world, but to show the world that there is an ihad, there's a unity, there's a oneness, there's something beautiful that can happen. It's intended to counter all of the pain. It's intended to counter all of the brokenness to bring a man and a woman into oneness just as God himself is revealed as three in one. To give us a glimpse of God's purpose and intent for our life. And so as I've closed today, maybe making love is an accurate phrase. That somehow the goodness of God enters the world through a relationship that is surrendered to God. In this room, there are single people that you 
you are longing for a change in this area, and I'm going to pray that you receive it, but first I would say, do not pass up the gift that singleness is. The Apostle Paul tells us that singleness is a gift from God. So my prayer is that you would enjoy that gift, but my prayer is also that you'd be open to the one. Because some of us are wait, we're so picky, we're waiting for the, the absolute right person to walk through the door. And can I just tell you, you're only going to get four to six real opportunities at this kind of love in a lifetime. And you can be picky all you want, but you may just pass up and miss one of the greatest gifts of God in your life. So my prayer is that you would find that. And for my married people in the room, my prayer is that the fractured parts of your marriage the broken parts, the insecurities, all of those pieces, that there would be a unity and a union, a oneness. Would you stand with me all across the room? Lord, we, we honor you and, and we want our lives to honor you in this room. You are good. You are faithful. I pray right now for the single people in this room that they would be confident in their singleness, that they would be able to discover the joy and the gift that singleness is according to the Apostle Paul. But also I pray that when the time is right and the season is appropriate, that love would awaken our life. And that through, through marriage, they would experience the joy of unity with another person in a covenant relationship that is unlike any other relationship they can ever have. A loyalty, a belonging, a protection. And God, I pray for our married couples that are in the room, Lord, that you would begin to heal and mend those shattered and broken parts of us that instead of trying to get our own and get our own pleasure and our own things from each other, that we would seek a unity together, a longing for unity together. I pray you bless our marriages. In Jesus' name. I, um, in a minute, I, I know I went kind of long. That's because I don't have a screen, so don't blame me. Um, you have a timer, it kind of tells me, and I still don't listen to it. Um, in a minute, I'm going to invite you to come and, and pray. Our prayer team will be down here, and, and it might be appropriate as a couple, if, if you're looking for some more unity, it might be a time to just come pray together. There's something powerful about praying together. But before we do that, I just I want to say, if you're in the room today, and for you, you recognize that your next step is to place your faith in Jesus. You've been just kind of going through this life thing on your own, living life however you see, but you recognize right now, you sense like there's this, this, I'm at a crossroads where I need to surrender to God and his plan for my life. And if that's you and you're, you're ready to, to say, I, I surrender to Jesus, I want him to be the Lord of my life, would you, would you put your hand up so I can see who I'm talking to? I see that, it's a bold hand, it's a bold hand. Yeah. 
Here's what we do. It's really simple. What we do is, is we just repent and believe. Repent means we turn away from the things in our life that we know are separating us from him, things we think, do, and say. And we believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we do this, his blood cleanses us from all sin. He puts us in right standing with God. So pray something like this with me, if you raise your hand or if you want to jump in. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. Would you forgive me? I'm turning away from them. I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me. That he was buried and rose again. So right now I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope in Jesus Christ alone. Say these words with me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. There's some people who just made the best decision of their life. We celebrate with you. We honor you. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. We love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.